we're finishing chapter 4 tonight in 1 John, and um, this is such good stuff. And, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to train this church to cultivate the ability to go through a fairly long series of the same book and just stay with it. Because, you know, if you have a great big stake, it doesn't matter where you cut into it. You know, it doesn't matter where you cut into it. You still got the whole thing, and it's all stake. And so, you know, you can, you can, live, you can have a church that lives on what we call topical messages, which we tend to do Sunday mornings. Like right now, we're on the, the topical. So we just finished the topical series on worship. And um, that's all we do is like four-week series on Sundays, and that works fine. But we're very trained to commercials come every 10 minutes. Every problem is solved in 28 minutes. You know, uh, we, we, we're just kind of trained to not go through something extended. But no matter where you land in First John, it's stake. Okay? So we just kind of need to go, well, you know, no, we're not done yet, but we're going through the whole book. And it doesn't matter because it, whether it's First John or anywhere else in the Bible, we're still getting fed. So we're just going to let our pastor take us through the whole thing. Because then you understand more than a lot of believers do. You do. So let's stand together and we're going to read, or we're going to pray, and then we're going to read the first verse together. Father, we just thank you tonight that this is the Word of God. And you have given us every word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so, Lord, we just, we just uh, receive your word. We thank you for feeding us your word and by your word increasing our faith. And we thank you for it. Now, would you just breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you will agree and say, Pastor Jeff, I'll let you take us through a book. No bells, no whistles, just going through a book. All right. Okay. Good, because that's what I'm going to do. All right. Let's read the first two verses together, can we? Are you ready? By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Now, before we pray over this verse and are seated, listen carefully. I was looking through Amazon.com and the top uh, 25 books. Just curious, what was number one through 25 selling on Amazon? And do you know that three of them were books written to discount the person of Jesus Christ? Three of them. And there's more after the top 25. But that means that thousands and thousands of people all over America and the world are buying these books that discount what we just read. And the problem is the readers don't know enough to know whether or not what they're reading is true or false. But you will not be in that boat if you're in this church. Because if there's anything I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to cut your teeth on the truth about the person of Jesus Christ. So Look what he says here. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. 
Bless your word, Lord, to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. You can be seated. Now, you notice the phrase, I've underlined it, of His Spirit. Now, there's a little Greek word, and it's called ek. Can you say it with me, ek? Just say ich. You got it. E-K. Now, ek means out of, out of, out of. Now, the word ek is used when it says of His Spirit. In the Greek, it's really out of His Spirit. Literally, out of His Spirit. So let's read it together. It says, He has given us out of His Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 can help us out here. And this is a great series of passages. Let's just read it together. Are you ready? There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Now, one thing you got right there is a beautiful testimony of the, of the reality of the Godhead. Notice, the Spirit, the Lord, and God. The Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and God. So, the three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are all named in verse 4. But the, manif- and there are, but the manifestation of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now hear this tonight. You're one of the each one. You are one of the each one. That means that the Spirit, the Spirit Notice there are diversities, different kinds of gifts, different gifts, and it's the Spirit we're going to see in a moment that gives them to you according to His will, and every one of you has received a gift that all of us may profit. Now, in North American church world, it's viewed this way. The preacher is the one with the gift. And he's the one with the gift in the church, and everybody else just sits, soaks, and sours. You know, he's hired and fired. He's hired to, you know, teach the Word, preach the Word, minister the Word, do all the work, go visit the sick, go raise the dead, go this and that and the other. But not us. We're, we're out here to pew warmers. But the North American church has been wrong there. Because I want you to notice the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each believer. Each believer has a gift. Now, I know what you're thinking. I've never noticed any particular gift in my life. Well, you know what? It's there or the Word of God's a lie and it's not a lie. It's a matter of letting that gift surface. Every believer, when you got saved, the Spirit of God did this. According to His will, He gave you a gift. Now, let's look at what they could be. For the profit of all, read the rest of it with me, would you? For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Come on, y'all. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. Uh Uh-oh, that left in the first century. Did it? No. 
and then to another, the interpretation of tongues. That's the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's really another message for another night. What I want you to see, it's real important here, is that all of us have been recipients of a gift. Notice, let's read the rest. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to who? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. Now, y'all didn't cooperate at all. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. You ought to see what I see. That's you. <laughs> I want you to catch this. The Spirit of God is operating in the Lord's church, the blood-bought church. And the Spirit of the Lord distributes to each believer individually. It's an individual gifting. It's an individual distribution as He wills. Now, I want you to notice the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit is not the force. He's not some ethereal fog that moves through a church. He's not some indiscriminate wind that just sort of blows through. The Holy Spirit is a person with a will. And the Holy Spirit distributes to each saint one of those nine. And I think you've missed a lot of living if you don't discover what it is God gave you and operate in it. Okay? This is real important. So the Holy Spirit is a He, a He, and He's here right now. He's here right now. Now, now, this is what John means when he says he has given to us out of his Spirit. Out of the Holy Spirit, he has given to each of us gifts individually, individually. You know, I'll hear um, Steve uh, singing. You know, I was watching, I was listening to the CD that Steve cut for the, the 100 Guitars of Praise. And I just thought, man, I couldn't do that if you had a pistol to my head. And I couldn't sing like he sings. But my way of singing is to preach. And that's my gift. My gift isn't his and his isn't mine. But look, God gave both for the profit of everyone. But here's what we've got to see is that all of us individually have been gifted. The Spirit of God distributed to all of us something so that all of us can profit. So how badly is the church robbed? No wonder the church in so many places is anemic because the members are not exercising the gift the Spirit of God distributed to them. So we're, instead of profiting, we are lacking. That's powerful. It's amazing. New Testament truth is very different from a lot of what we were raised in in church. But let God be true and every man a liar. Now, so you get it with me now? That's what he has given to us out of ek, out of his spirit. Now, verse 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Now, seen is from a word meaning to steadfastly and deliberately contemplate. 
it doesn't mean like you're standing on the side of the road and a car passes by. Yeah, I saw the car. Mm-mm. This is like you're in, a, you're in a Corvette dealership and you see a shiny cherry red brand new 06 450 horse vet. Now there is scene. I'm contemplating. I'm thinking about what I'm looking at. I am soaking it in. Over a period of time, the act of viewing was not a mere momentary thing to John. He's saying, we and the disciples, we look steadfastly at him and contemplated over time what we saw. And it's having a continued effect on us right now because seeing is in the perfect tense. So that means something happened in the past and it's still impacting me today. So I saw Jesus Christ, John is saying, with my own eyes and I contemplated, thought about, considered, pondered over a long time what I saw. And it's impacting me to this day, even though when he's writing this letter, it's decades after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. It's still impacting him. You know, you, you, you cannot get around Jesus and not be impacted the rest of your life. And there are some things that you do to see momentarily and they don't have any effect on you at all. But there's other things you see and you never forget. You never forget. And John is saying, we, we are still being changed by what we saw of Jesus Christ. We're still being changed. Now, verse 15, he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, I know I'm a broken record here, but I want to ask you again, what false teaching were they, was he trying to counter in this letter? Who were they? Gnostics. And what did the Gnostics teach? This is real important, y'all. Because I'm going to tell you something. There are cults out there today that will look you right in the eye and say, oh yeah, Jesus came in the flesh. You bet. And I'm born again too. So to ask a false teacher in our day, well, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? That's not really a, a sort of a, that's not the consummate test. Because there are false teachers in our day that will say, you bet he did. I believe, sure I believe he did. But if, you're, if you were a Gnostic you would never have said, oh yeah, he came in the flesh, because your whole message was he didn't come in the flesh. So John is aiming this question, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, he's talking about the Gnostics. If you find anybody who says he was the Son of God, then they're not a Gnostic. But if they can't say he's the Son of God, then they are Gnostics. And you need to know they're false teachers. But I'm telling you, church, tonight, that there are cults in our day Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and others that I could name all night long who will tell you, oh yeah, Jesus came in the flesh. Sure, he was a real flesh and blood person who was here, but they're still false teachers. See, this test is good for Gnostics. So if you run across a Gnostic, just say, did he come in the flesh? No, 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 he didn't they won't be able to tell you that he did. But that's really, you understand what I'm saying? I just want you to understand that if you go up to a false teacher and say, hmm, I got a bad feeling about you, dude. Tell me, did Jesus come in the flesh? And there's a lot of them will say, sure. Well, don't then walk away going, well, they must be right. 
Uh-uh. They're just saying, I'm not a Gnostic. But they could be a real false teacher and still say that. Okay? But he said, now, confesses. It's from a word meaning to speak the same thing that another speaks. Thus, to agree with someone as to a certain thing. So when we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, who are we agreeing with? We're agreeing with the testimony of Scripture and the testimony of the Holy Ghost. We're agreeing with God that He sent His only begotten Son into the world to save us from our sins. And so we're in agreement. And the minute you agree with God, you're saved. The confession is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, thus God the Son, thus God of very God. Jesus was very God of very God. Do you understand that? Jesus was not lesser than. Jesus was very God of very God. God wrapped himself in flesh and just came to the earth. He intentionally limited himself by coming as a human being. But Jesus Christ was very God of very God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was very God. And on that day of judgment, all of humanity will deal with Him, and He will deal with them. Amen. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Now, the verb confesses is in the aorist tense, making the act of confession both a definite one and a lifetime confession, representing the sustained attitude of the heart. There, there, let me tell you something, folks. You don't kind of get saved, and there is no fence. I used to say about certain people, oh, they're just walking the fence. There is no fence. I learned there is no fence. You're in or you're out. You're on one side or the other. You're saved or you're lost. And, and the whole idea of confesses, it's not just walking down to an altar and making a decision and walking back to your chair and there's no life change. Uh-uh. When the Scripture talks about confession, it's a major word. Aorist tense means something distinct happened in the past. And that decision is lifelong. It reflects an attitude of your heart that is lifelong. And you don't get saved and unsaved, saved and unsaved, saved and unsaved. I can't live in a faith that way. How you doing? I'm saved this week. Well, how'd you do last year? Well, it got lost a few times, but I came back, got saved again. Saved, lost, saved, lost. I can't do You can't get born and unborn and born and unborn. No. The confession that he's talking about here is a major decision where you say, I believe that you are the Christ. I agree with God that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I repent of my sin, and I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. That's aorist tense. That means back there, you did that. And when you did that, you became born again. And it's an attitude you maintain the rest of your life. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, very God of very God. It's a, it's a major, the, the major decision of your life. It can't even be compared to who you marry, where you work, where you live, where you go to church. None of those things. Even comes close to the decision where you say, I agree with God. 
I confess he is Lord. It's not any greasy grace in the New Testament. No sloppy agape. It's real or it's not. Now, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now, known and believed, you see that? I meant to underline it in the verse. We have known and believed. They're both in the perfect tense again, meaning that in the past they had both known and believed that God's nature is to love, and that truth was impacting them still. Do you see what John is doing? John has given us a testimony. John is testifying to us. He's saying, here's what happened to me in the past. I watched Jesus Christ with my own eyes, and I heavily pondered what I saw, and it's still impacting me today. And then back then, I confessed. I agreed with God that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's impacting me to this day. Now, he says, we also became convinced. We came to know and believe that the nature of God was to love. And when we, and, and coming to know that and believe that, it happened back then and it's still impacting me today. It's a truth I live with, that God is love. Now you go ask some religious people, how do you view God? And they picture a furrow-browed, gray-headed, steam coming out of his ears, angry God holding a scepter, just waiting for you to mess up just one time so he can squash you like a bug. But you ask John, and he say to you, we have known back then, and we came to believe back then, and we're walking in the truth today that God is love. Doesn't mean he doesn't judge sin, but his nature is to love. Now, why does that matter? Because if his nature is to love, it ought to be what we walk in. And that's what he's getting at. I told you, there's a broken record here in, the first, in first John. Over and over again, he says, if you know him, you will walk as he walked. And if you know him, you will love. As a matter of fact, he's about to get heavier with it. Okay? Verse 17. Our love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, our love is literally the love that is with us, the love that is in us. It's talking about the love with which, uh, which God is in his nature being produced in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Our love, he's saying, the love that God put in our hearts has come to maturity. We're walking in a love that has matured. Hey, guys, I got to tell y'all, when I read this stuff and I look at the church, it just don't add up a lot of the time. And I'm not being judgmental. I love God's church. I've given my life to serve God's church. But when I look at the church... I don't see Christians a lot of the time walking in love. I, I don't see me sometimes walking in love. This is heavy stuff. This puts an x-ray on you. And, you know, it's like I told you, John will punch you in the stomach with a velvet glove, smiling the whole time. Little children, our love has matured. We love the brethren. 
because His love in us has been perfected. This is what happened in our walk with Him. Now, where are you? Sure haven't arrived. But I hope I'm growing in it, and I want to grow in it. He says, Jesus said that He he left us one commandment. You remember that commandment? Love one another even as I have loved you. So John's not getting weird on us. He's not going over, overboard, not being excessive with this because Jesus said this. He's just expanding and expounding on what Jesus said. So that's the love that John is talking about, the maturing of God's love in us. Notice John does not ever measure spirituality by giftedness. He never uses giftedness as a thermometer to measure somebody's spirituality because you can talk in tongues all day and stab 30 people in the back. You can pray for the sick, anoint them with oil, raise the dead. But Paul said if you don't have love, you're like a clanging clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. John measures the level of your spiritual walk, the level of your spiritual growth, by love and only by love there's no other yardstick he uses so you start thinking about your daily life how many times do you do you really walk in love towards people unselfishly because it's agape that he's using here has been perfected which is again in the perfect tense meaning has been made perfect or complete and now exists in its finished or fully matured state. God dropped his love into my heart. What did Paul say in Romans? He said, he has poured out in our hearts his love by the Holy Ghost. Now, John says, when he poured out his love in your heart by the Holy Ghost, then that love was supposed to start working in you, maturing in you, growing in you, until finally you could say, I'm walking in a level of mature love, agape love towards the saints. Boldness, this is important, means freedom of speech, free and fearless confidence with nothing to hide or be ashamed of. The saint who in his earthly life has had God's love brought to its full capacity of operation by the Holy Spirit in his life will be fearless and unashamed at the judgment. While they lived on earth, they were like him and their lives were fully devoted to the Lord Jesus because of love. He says that's the person when the rapture happens who will not be ashamed of his appearing. Now, when he says the judgment, he's not talking about the great white throne judgment. If you're washed in the blood, you'll never see that judgment. That's for people who have never been saved. But you will go to the judgment seat of Christ where your works will be tested by fire. And if you built your Christian life on wood, hay, stubble, the your own works, your own ideas, you didn't obey God, didn't walk in the Word, it's going to be burned up. But you'll be saved only by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin, by the blood. But if you walked in and you, you grew in love and you bore fruit, then you built your Christian life on gold, silver, and precious stones, and you will receive a reward. That's the judgment he's talking about. So when we get raptured up to the judgment seat of Christ, immediately there is going to be a testing of how we lived out our faith. 
And, and, and it will be by the fire of the presence of God. And if we can know, I walked in love. As you were on the earth, Lord, I was too. I walked in love. Then you will hear him say, rewarded. But if you go, well, you know, uh, I never liked so-and-so and really couldn't stand so-and-so and held grudges all my life and didn't forgive and was really a pill in the church and really kind of dragged things down more than I built things up. And I thought you understood the whole time, Lord. I really thought you got it. I, I thought you were with me. He'll say, according to John, you should have walked in love. This is hard to teach, but it's what he said by the Holy Ghost. So spirituality is in direct correlation to the level of love you walk in, and that's it. You can hama, hama, hama all day long. That doesn't mean you're spiritual. It's awful quiet in here. There is no fear in love, he says in verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, you've got, it goes right back to the verse we just covered. Love is not speaking of a godly fear or a I'm sorry, it's supposed to be fear. It's not speaking of a godly fear or a holy fear of displeasing the Father through sin, but is a slavish fear of a slave for a master or of a criminal before a judge. That's the kind of fear. When he says fear has torment, the Greek word is phobos that we get phobia from. Anybody in here have a phobia? Claustrophobia, agoraphobia. And if you had agoraphobia, you wouldn't be sitting in here. You'd be home. But you know what it's like to be tormented by fear. It has torment. But with the fear he's talking about here is you're afraid, you, you have a fear of punishment because you're not walking the way you know you should. So torment means correction, punishment, penalty, and brings with it the thought of punishment. So the saint who has experienced the fullness of God's divine love in his earthly life will have no fear of correction or penalty at the judgment seat of Christ. There is no fear in love, meaning I'm not afraid of meeting Jesus because I'm walking in his love. He's put his love in my heart. I'm walking with him. So I'm not afraid of future eternal punishment. But I want to tell you something, folks. If I didn't have his love in my heart and I wasn't walking in his will, I'd be very afraid of facing God. There's something to be said for the fear of the Lord. It said it's the beginning of wisdom. It's awful quiet in here. The wheels are turning. The toes are hurting. Okay, let's read. Can you read it with me? We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Now, I don't like that statement, because I like to think that I love God no matter how I feel towards people. But that's not what he says. He said, if you can't love the brethren who you see, 
You're not walking in love towards God who you cannot see. Now, let me, I don't want to confuse you with this, but the word him, you see him, the third word, we love him. The word him is not in the best Greek text. Verse 19 would better read, as for us, let us be loving because he himself first loved us. As for us, let us be loving. Why? Because we're debtors to a loving God. He first loved us. So if he forgave me enough debt that I would have gone to hell, then I'm indebted to walk in love towards the brethren. Okay? The thought is that the amazing love of God in Christ is the inspiration of all the love that stirs in our hearts. It awakens in us an answering love, an answering love. Better put, our responding love. A grateful love for Him manifesting itself in love for our brethren. John's saying, man, you can't love God and not love the brethren. You can't do it. And it has nothing to do with having chemistry, natural affinity, just liking somebody's personality. Mm -mm. Verse 20, in the expanded Greek, it reads, please read this with me, would you? If anyone says, I am constantly loving God with a divine love, and his brother is as constantly hating, he is a liar. For the one who is not constantly loving with a divine love, his brother whom he has seen and has still within the range of his vision... God whom he has not seen and does not have within the range of his vision, he is not able to be loving. So you just can't say, I'm in love with God and hate the brethren. That means you got to love Methodists, Baptists, Pentecostals. Jesus didn't die for a divided church. He wants us to love the brethren. Love is agape, divine love, self-sacrificial in its essence. The one constantly loving God should constantly be loving also his brother. Let's read verse 21 and we're done. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, I don't know about y'all, but this tonight, um, this searches me. This searches me. And I don't think that we ought to just walk out and go, well, you know, that was a great message. Uh, that stung a little bit. And then forget about it tomorrow. James said, don't look at yourself in a mirror and then put it down and forget what manner of person you saw. Um, you know, what this kind of teaching does is you're looking in the mirror and you see a lot of blemishes. It did me and it does me to even teach it. So I look in the mirror and I say, oh, ouch, blemishes. I'm not walking in that kind of love. I want to. And so a word of comfort before we go. Agape love is not a feeling. It is a choice. That's the whole idea behind agape love. The lover with agape love chooses to love. And once you choose to love, to walk in love, it has a way of developing within you. I choose to love. And folks, if we don't love the brethren, then he says we're not loving God. 
Now, I have trouble. I find it easier to love God than I do the brethren. Do you? Because he's perfect, and we're not. But he says, love the brethren, and grow in that, so that when he comes, when the judgment seat of Christ takes place, we're not full of phobos, full of dread. You say, I walked in love. I bore fruit. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Okay? All right, let's stand together. I'm going to ask us to just bow for a moment of prayer. And why don't we just say, Lord, you know, this, this word searched me, and I know that I can't do this apart from you. I'm asking you to help me to grow in love. That 2006 would be a year of inner growth and outer growth. Father, we just thank you that you gave the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that the Spirit of God distributed to every person in this room a gift. And I thank you, Lord, that he also came into our hearts to not only distribute gifts, but to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, we know that all the fruits of the Spirit are summed up in that word love. And we know, Lord, that so often we don't love. We are selfish. We are uh, self-centered and narcissistic and all of those things. And Lord, it doesn't come naturally to walk in agape love. And we ask you to help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.